Good morning, everyone. Good to see you, even though it's a long weekend. You will be blessed if you are here. Wonderful. This morning, I want to share a very practical sermon. As we all have been doing the wisdom literature, this is the final one. And then next week, Pastor Caroline will finish up by tying it all to the New Testament, uh, wisdom in Christ. So this is a final topical kind of sermon from um, Book of Proverbs and other parts of the wisdom literature is wisdom in relationships. Relationships require wisdom because it can be very fulfilling, yet at the same time, if you handle it wrongly, it can be nightmares. They can also be unpredictable and full of danger. You walk into a bookstore to the self-help section of any bookstore, it testifies to us to the challenges of relationship. Look there and you will find shell promising wisdom to all who seek it. Let me give you a few. Tim LaHaye book on seek, understanding your man. Secrets of the male temperament. And then you have about book on what women want men to know. Or how to understand women. The secret behind how they think and what they really want. And then the famous book by uh, John Gray. Men are from Mars and women from Venus. Another promises to help you win friends and influence people. Dale Carnegie, I remember I read that when I was 20, 23 years old, maybe. And then a third of the section of those books are provided for those wounded by offering training in the gentle art of verbal self-defense. You know, not many of us, some, we receive some physical abuse in relationship, but most relationships suffer from verbal abuse. Lots of promises, yet mastering relationships always seems beyond our grasp. Do you know Jesus talked about that in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount? He says this. He said, if you bring your gift to the church, to the altar. You want to give it to God. And there you remember that your brother or your sister has something against you. Jesus said, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Jesus in this passage is almost placing reconciling Resolving conflict almost above worship. I think Christian family quarreled the most on Sunday morning on their way to church, especially when you have children. Who hasn't had that kind of argument, quarrel before? One want to be on time, one want to be early, one want to just be on time, and there's always tension. And I've seen couples now come to church separately. Uh, some have other responsibilities and all that. And Jesus seems to be saying, almost like, if you're on your way quarreling, fighting, when you arrive at church, it is almost like it's better for you to sit in the car park, in the car, to resolve it before you enter the church to worship God. 
He's almost saying that. I fear that next week everybody will be either late or, <laughs> or might not actually turn up. I said it in the first service too, and everybody seems to agree. It's more rewarding to resolve a conflict than to dissolve a relationship. Because there's a lot of rewards in relationship. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they, keep, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strengths is not quickly broken. So there's a value in relationship. But relationship can be so complex in handling, isn't it? So complex. So many broken relationships. So much of dream that you have in relationship. That you want to have a, a companionship that can heighten the joy of life, supports you in trial. And you want loyalty, you want security, you want to be appreciated by the work you do and all. You want to be smooth, you want to have fun, and then the list goes on. But how often have you found that instead of companionship, you get boredom? Instead of acceptance, you end up being rejected. And instead of finding faithfulness and trust, you find betrayal. Sometimes relationships just don't work the way you had hope. And then the Proverbs, book of Proverbs teaches us that our world is full of relationships. That is our life here on earth, relationships. Our world is full of people, full of voices. These people in turn both embodied and direct us down certain paths and destinations in life. You could almost say that every day you stand at a crossroad junction, at a crossroads. You can always choose to live either a wise life or a foolish life. And the path you and I travel in life has everything to do with the people to whom we listen and with whom we seek companionship. That's the reality. Some people walk with you and direct you down a wise path. Other people will walk, you, walk with you and direct you down a path of destructions. Relationships are important because they have everything to do with where you will end up in life. And Proverbs seems to tell us that from the start. It says, The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. And Proverbs 13.20, Whoever walks with the wise... Becomes wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. Now, I, I read those two verses, I can testify to it. I came from a very difficult background. My parents died when I was young, and I don't come from a very good environment in my neighborhood, too. And no guidance, you know, no guidance at all. My, and as such, I, someone brought me to church when I was 15 years old. And I can tell you now, I look back, I say, I thank God for that friend who brought me to a church because it was a good environment for me. Really good. 
I have a brother who didn't do that. And he went with the wrong crowd. He was into drug. He was into some petty robberies and all that. If you see him today now, he took off his shirt. He got tattooed from here all the way down to his feet. Not a single space that is absent without tattoos. And in the past, they tried to expose, but as he grow old, he tried to cover up. Interesting, isn't it? Don't dare to let people see. And I can relate to this in my own life when I think of this verse. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. Relationship is not back happen in a vacuum. It is a vehicle. It is a car. It's a vehicle that brings you down a pathway. And so wisdom admonishes us to look beyond our immediate experience of relationship to consider where we are going. Because it will take you somewhere. It will deliver you to a destination. Which destination? It has to do with relationship. And book of Proverbs tells us many things about wisdom. Why do you need to embrace wisdom? It says in Proverbs chapter 3, Wisdom is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her hand, right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Those who lay hold of her will, lay hold of her will be blessed. And then chapter 4, verse 6 to 9 says, Do not forsake wisdom, and she will protect you. She will love you. She will watch over you. Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. Though it costs all you have, get understanding. Esteem her, and she will exalt you. Embrace her, and she will honor you. She will set a gallon of grace on your head and present you with a crown of splendor. You know, Proverbs basically says that there is this beautiful woman with whom you ought to be having a relationship. This woman offers everything you really need in life. Have a relationship with Lady Wisdom. Listen to what she teaches. Proverbs 4.18 says, The path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. You know, as believers, we live on earth, we interact with people, we have relationships, our spouse, our families, our extended family, relatives, friendship, workmates, church family. We all are all relationship. And we need wisdom to do that. We need wisdom to handle this very delicate, very important part of our life here because it is a vehicle that will bring you to a certain destination. And I, from the time that I have, I want to give you four points from Proverbs. I think there's some wisdom that we can learn from it, and in hope that it can help us to be discerning in how we handle relationship. The first one is probably not on your list, but I think it is necessary to establish it. The first thing that I want to establish is that wisdom tells us who people really are. 
Because relationship deals with people, and I, I need to, at the start, to establish what the Scripture position is concerning human being. And Scripture position is that we are all broken people. Broken. And in Scripture language, is we are sinners. You know, sin is not a nice word to use nowadays. It is a, almost like an archaic language. Uh, but scripture position is that we are all born sinners. When you're born into this world, you are already sinners. In other words, sin is not something that you learned. Sin is something that you inherited. Sinful nature is in us. Every parent with little ones can acknowledge that. Nobody teach kids how to do wrong things. They just know how to do wrong things. They know. Sinful nature is in us. R.C. Sproul was a Reformed scholar who died about just two, three years ago. She said that we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. Sinful nature is already in us. And when we, we are not in any way as Christians, I know sometimes people have this attitude that, oh, you're Christians, you are, seem to be so righteous, so holy, you know, everybody else sinners, you know, we are the one that is up there, you know. No, no, we are, we are not saying that when you're sinners, that means that way. We are just simply saying that God is perfect, and because God is perfect, His standard, we all fall short of His standard. And therefore, we are sinners. We fall short of His standard. You must not measure your standard between us, one another, or your neighbor, or your relatives. I'm better than the person. Or we, we cannot do that. The standard we have to draw from is God's standard. And because God's standard is so high, we fall short of His standard. We are sinners. Blame it on Adam. Okay? Blame it on Adam. Next time, you can go and whack him when you see him. Uh, we are born with that sinful because Adam sinned, and therefore subsequent generation comes are sinners. So we are not in any way, I, I, I'm not trying to make us higher than others in a sense. Dietrich born Herfer, I'm right now, huh? Uh, I have a German man here, Helmut, always correct my pronunciation. Dietrich born Herfer. Uh, say that if my sinfulness appears to me in any way smaller or less detestable in comparison with the sins of others, I am still not recognizing my sinfulness at all. Because I have to establish this because there are huge implications if you don't start from tell, recognizing who people really are. That means to say the first implication of that is that there are evil people in this world. Proverbs is strewn with that to tell us there are evil people in this world. There are bad people in this world. That is the reality of life that we have to accept. I need to establish this point because my concern is that 
there's nothing wrong anymore. In the years to come, you are going to see this happening. That there's nothing wrong anymore. The only sins are maybe priests, they'll say. Wearing the dog collar, religious people. There's no wrong anymore. Let me tell you, you just wait and see. It is happening nowadays. Every wrong can be justified with something else. And primarily, most of it are blaming into your medical, mental health problem, which I don't deny some, some behavior is due to medical issue, but a lot of problems, a lot of behavior are due to just pure behavior, nothing to do with that, of a medical problem. So it is necessary for us to recognize it first and foremost. And that is why people who join me in studying KYB on the book of Joshua, we have difficulty looking at God destroying the Canaanites. We have difficulty with that. Because we seem to be shaped by, more by the world. There is no such thing as evil people. My, my, I'm, I'm very naive maybe. My way of approach to Christian ethics is very simple. Personal ethics is always love, but corporate ethics should always be justice. Personal ethics, love. Corporate ethics, justice. But unfortunately, in this world that we live in, we swap it around, isn't it? Personal ethics, we always want revenge. We want justice. But corporate ethics on a government level is always love. No one is punished in a sense. It's very unfortunate. It should be the right way. Personal ethics should always be love. But corporate ethics, justice is the thing that we need to serve. Proverbs says this, tells us this. Proverbs says, my son, if sinners entice you, do not give in to them. If they say, come along with us, let's lie in wait for innocent blood. Let's ambush some harmless soul. Some harmless soul. Can you believe that? So Proverbs is, is you read through Proverbs, there are plenty of verses that is telling you all this about about uh, good and evil in a sense. And not only we should recognize there's evil in this world, we should recognize that we are sinners. Christian needs to constantly recognize that we are saved by grace. And Proverbs 3, the famous verse that we all are aware of, said, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Then the question I ask is, why can't we lean on our own understanding? Why not? Because we are not perfect. Because we are sinners. Because we don't have the answer. We don't have it all. We can think wrongly. We can reason wrongly. We can feel wrongly. And therefore, to trust entirely on yourself, with so much of the books, with so much of the positive thinking talks and all that is about trusting your own guts and your own feelings and your own emotions. I don't dare to trust mine. If I trust my guts and my instinct and my own emotion, I don't know where I will be now. Anytime I would trust God more. He said, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him, and He will make your path straight. Because Proverbs 14 says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. In other words, sometimes I might think I'm on the right path when I'm actually walking down the path of destruction. I remember many years ago, maybe 15, 16 years ago, I went to Gold Coast with a couple. We stayed with uh, someone's place, and then we stayed up there quite late, 
And after that, we, we, we were on our way home. And the three passengers, my wife and a couple, were sound asleep because it's late at night. And I was the only one driving back. And those days, no GPS. And literally, I was heading the complete opposite way for one hour. Can you believe that? I was heading to Sydney. My wife occasionally wake up. She said, I think we are heading the wrong way. <laughs> because it's to Sydney. It's obvious, right? I mean, Sydney is... I said, no, no, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep. And the more I drive, the more I drive. Yeah, it's to Sydney. I don't know why it took so long. Maybe men take longer to process things. It took me one hour before I realized I'm heading the wrong way. And I have to U-turn back. But all this while, I was believing that I was on the right path. Huge implication. And there's another implication that you and I need to know why wisdom teaches us that to recognize who people really are. Please remember you married a sinner. Please remember that. We, if not, you will punish your spouse because of our disappointments and unmet expectations. Either we fail to recognize the selfish nature of our expectations, or we fail to recognize that our spouses will fail us at times simply because we are sinners. How many family quarrels because of all those things? Because of expectation. I always tell people, manage your expectations. Your disappointment comes from unmet expectations. Manage your expectation. Please remember you married a sinner. Please remember you give birth to a sinner. Please remember your parents also born as a sinner. Please remember that. I think marriages need to be the kind of relationship where one can freely admit failures so that we can all grow together. The greater the differences, the greater potential for growth. The greater the, di- the, greater the diverse of a church is, the greater the potential for growth. Why you want to marry someone who is exactly like you? You might as well stay single. Marriages fail has nothing to do with incompatibility. Statistics have shown that more marriages die because of inflexibility and immaturity. has nothing to do with incompatibility. Incompatibility is a word coined by attorney, that's all, to justify divorce. Who is compatible? Tell me. Who is actually compatible? Yeah, maybe some very, very peripheral thing, or I like music, I like outdoor, you know, those are, those are not the real thing that holds your marriage together, just because you like the same types of music. This is very, very elementary way of evaluating differences. And as you age, you will recognize that. Wisdom will recognize that. So important thing, the first point is wisdom helps you recognize People, please know that they are evil in this world. Please also know that you married a sinner. 
Please know that your children are also born as a sinner. Manage your expectation. Then you will have a better way going forward. Number two, wisdom teaches us how to love in relationship. Now, I just want to focus on one point under this love. Many things you can talk about. I want to focus on this part of love in relationship that I think is often most overlooked. And that is correction. Because wisdom teaches me how to love, it stands to reason that if wisdom tells me that I am a sinner, then part of loving other people and being loved by them will involve correction. Wisdom is always eager to impart a positive attitude to us regarding correction. Nobody likes to be corrected. That's the problem. Because we are sinners, because of pride, because of arrogance, because of ego and all that, no one likes to take correction. And yet at the same time, Proverbs tell us how value it is to be corrected. He said, a wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a mocker does not listen to rebuke. But a mocker does not respond to rebukes. Proverbs 13 verse 18. He who ignores discipline comes to poverty and shame, but whoever heeds correction is honored. A rebuke impresses a man of discernment more than a hundred lashes a fool. Correction is a good thing because we are born sinner. We all have blind spots. We don't have it all. No matter how smart or how clever or how well read you are, you don't have it all. And therefore, we need one another. But our tendency, of course, is to hate correction or criticism, especially by the closest person in our lives, our wives, our husband, our parents, because nobody likes that. But yet at the same time, wisdom tells us that if we recognize God's greater purposes in relationships, we ought to welcome and invite correction. This can be hard to embrace, I acknowledge. Because Proverbs say this over and over again in many different ways. Pride is the main thing. It's a pride leads to conflict. Those who take advice are wise. Pride only breeds quarrels, another version says. But wisdom is found in those who take advice. How good are you in taking advice? Not very good, isn't it? We are not very good. We most of the time think that we know better than the other person who attempt to give us advice. Yet, when we talk about wisdom in loving, the loving must be part of correction. Look at this verse. Amazing. He said, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Notice the word, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Do you see what is being placed in opposition? Hidden love. If I love you, but I'm not willing to rebuke you or correct you, I am hiding my love. It is not love made manifest. It is not love that can be seen as love. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. 
And then the next verse, wounds from a friend can be trusted. What does it mean for me to be a friend? To be a true friend, according to this verse, this verse means occasionally I'm going to wound you. Out of love, I will say things you don't want to hear. If I say them in your best interests, out of love, it is a wound you ought to be willing to endure. Of course, I, 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 I understand. Sometimes we can come across as, as judging someone, looking down on someone, condemning someone. You know, this is not the context we're talking about. The context is always out of love, out of uh, best interests. That I need to tell you that if you continue to walk down this path, your destination will be this way. Not judging you, not condemning you, but out of love and for your interest, I need to tell you that that is love. In biblical sense, that is love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. And then what is the contrast there? An enemy multiply kisses. So if I'm the type of person who lives only to tell you what you want to hear, then I am living like your enemy. Proverbs 25 verse 29 verse 5, I don't have it up there. He said, whoever flatters his neighbor is spreading a net for his feet. Flattery always leads. I mean, there's a difference between flattery and encouragement. You want to encourage people, but you don't want to, to flatter people, use it as a way to get your way around. So we need to continue to develop relationship where correction is not an enemy. Where maybe silence and flattery is actually an enemy. Encouragement is important. Yes, well, I want to just balance it up. I'm not asking you to go around with an extra lens, start to zoom in on people's fault and correct. I'm, I'm not suggesting that at all. The Bible tells us that perfume and incense bring joy to the heart and the pleasantness of one's friends spring from his earnest counsel. It's a good nature kind of environment. It is good. It smells like perfume. It's a nice smell. It's a joy to the heart when you have earnest and wise counsel who has your best interest at heart is not at all to harm you in telling you. People who have no interest in your life will say, oh, yeah, yeah, good, why not? Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, sure, why not? How many of us have that kind of advice? Yeah, good. Good. And you ended up nowhere. But if you have someone who loves you, who cares for you, who really, you know, talk from the heart, discuss, that is good. It's a good thing we should welcome. But yet at the same time, you have to learn how to approach it. We need skill to do that. Because not just because you have good intention and good motive means everything will work well. It doesn't work that way. Look at what the, uh, uh, the author of Proverbs said. An offended brother is more unyielding than a fortified city. And disputes are like the barred gates of a citadel. You know how difficult it is? Yeah, you have good intention. doesn't mean to say your good intention means you can say anything you want. 
Good intention is only the starting point. But the skill involved is so important. Otherwise, it's like a fortified city. You are, you are hitting nowhere. And therefore, Proverbs says what? A person finds joy in giving and what? Apt reply. Means an appropriate reply. And how good is a timely word? Think of the word timely word. Timing is everything. When I was training, when I was young, I played a lot of soccer. That was my game, soccer and badminton. I played a lot of soccer. When I go to school, everywhere I go, I have a ball with me. Every small, short moment, five minutes or whatever, I would play soccer. Dream of becoming a soccer player. Uh, and when I was in a, in a training uh, team, the coach always said, timing is everything, timing is everything. Come on, timing, timing, timing. When you cross the ball, timing, you run, and then you hit the ball, you maximize the force. Timing is everything. He's always telling us, timing is everything. And I, I, it's become part of my life. Yeah, not just only doing the right thing, but timing is important. Timing is everything. How you tell the person, when you tell the person, is also take into consideration of that. Don't just say, just because you want to tell, you tell. Timing is everything. Whether the person is at ease, is the right time, or are the person busy working, you know, in the right frame of mind, or getting a task done. Timing. Proverbs say a person finds joy in giving an appropriate reply. And how good is a timely word? A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Anybody actually manage to uh, raise your voice higher than the other person, higher and higher and higher, actually get your ways? Do you raise your voice and that, what happened? The person either is just as strong-willed as you will raise louder voice and then you try to go up and then you go up and then hit the roof, the roof open and then all your neighbor can hear and then one of them might call the police or some just withdraw. I teach you away, wives. This story told to me, I read somewhere, this quarrel, this couple quarrel, and the wife said, whenever we quarrel, I go and clean the toilet. <laughs> and then the counselor said, why whenever you quarrel with your husband, you go and clean the toilet? He said, I go and clean the toilet with his toothbrush. <laughs> and then night time, you... Hey, they are very nice, huh? <laughs> Exceptionally nice. So wisdom teaches us how to love in relationship and is in correction, helping one another. But at the same time, we have pride and therefore, like a fortified city, we need to be wise, we need to be encouraging and not going around, keep on picking each other's faults and all that. Third point I want to give to you, wisdom teaches us to trust God in relationships. Now, this is a very important point. We don't always need to think that we are in charge of the relationship. God is in the picture. If you are a Christian, you must always remember that God is in the picture of everything of your life. Whatever you equation you have, God must be always part of the equation. When God is part of the equation, then the equal will be something else. 
But if God is not in your equation, then the equal will be something very destructive. God is in the picture. God, you can trust God in relationships. Look at what Proverbs 13 says. Death and destructions lie open before the Lord. How much more the hearts of men. If God can fathom death and destruction, how much more is he able to understand what is going on in our hearts? Trust God. Trust God to know. He is in charge. Proverbs 20 said, The Lamb of the Lord searches the spirit of a man. The Lamb of the Lord searches the spirit of a man. He searches out his inmost being. God knows. God is in the picture. God is able to search out our inmost being to know what is happening at the deepest level. And then Proverbs 21 said, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He directs it like a watercourse wherever He pleases. God can. He is the one. God is able to affect even the king's heart. The king is not superior to God. God can change the heart of the king and direct it like a watercourse wherever He wants. So God can direct relationship. God is in the picture. Why you need to know that? Because we need to know, because we are, we are not alone in living with sinners whose hearts can often wound us. We are not alone. God knows what is going on in their hearts and in mine, and I need to understand that ultimately God alone is able to control and direct the hearts of those who live as if they were my enemies. Don't lose this hope. Don't lose this vision that God is in the picture of the relationship. Because in your sense of being alone, we act, you can act as if you have to fight for yourself all the time. And when you start to leave God out of the picture, you will then begin to fight. And then, it is becoming, and then you will become bitter, controlling, angry. And then it will then help you to walk down the path of fools and do foolish things. Because we have forgotten that God is in control. I have a friend who is a Singapore pilot who flew in on Tuesday. And we had lunch together. I spent half a day with him. And I am aware that he, his brother, a uh, number of years ago, involved uh, in a divorce with his wife. And I often ask him, how is your brother? He said, well, finally the divorce settled after 10 years. 10 years because both refused to give in both employed Queen's Council to fight and he often said to his family my friends uh, this man who went through divorce he said I don't care about money I'm going for broke I just want her to lose you see that you see the bitterness and the anger and the resentment that you're becoming, acting like a fool then. So remember that God is in the picture. Trust God in relationships. Trust Him. Pray. Trust Him. He can make all things beautiful in His time. Finally, wisdom teaches us how to speak it in relationships. 
couple of weeks ago, Pastor Caroline preached on uh, wisdom in words. Uh, if you missed the sermon, it's worthwhile going to, back to our YouTube channel and listen to the sermon. It's a worthwhile sermon to listen to um, on words. Because relationship is about words. It's about words. Communication plays a critical part uh, in relationships. And wisdom wants to understand the power of words. Because in a sense, words are the vehicles of relationship that transport us down the paths of wisdom and folly. And who, who doesn't need this guidance? I need this very much so. Uh, Proverbs says, Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. You know, there's a proverb that says, Sticks and stones may break my bones. But words can never hurt me. You, you, you believe that? I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Not at all. Words hurt. Words can stay with you for lies. Imagine you tell your son or your daughter, you are useless, you are hopeless. You say that every day to the person. See what will happen. Words has power to create. God said, let there be light. And there's light. That is how powerful words are. Words has the power to create things. So don't believe that, that, that Proverbs, sticks and stone may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. That's utterly rubbish. If I have one wisdom in about communication, is I think we should talk less. Proverbs 10, 19 says, when words are plenty, sin is not absent. But he who holds his tongue is wise. Or some version put it more bluntly, too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. Just to the dot, yeah? No mark around. Just go straight to the dog. Words can lead to sin because it's powerful. Words are very powerful. We need to learn to talk less. Someone has appropriately written this word. It says, soft words sung in a lullaby will put a baby to sleep. Excited words will stir a mob to violence. Eloquent words will send armies marching into the face of death. Encouraging words will fan to flame the genius of a Rembrandt or a Lincoln. Powerful words will mold the public mind as the sculptor molds his clay. Words spoken or written are a dynamic force. Words are the sort we use in our battle for success and happiness. How others react towards us depends in a large measure upon the words we speak to them. Now, this is a punchline. Life is a great whispering gallery that sends back echoes of the words we send out. Our words will live beyond us. They go marching through the years in the lives of all those with whom we come in contact. Long after you die, the word stays on. 
And so wisdom recognizes that because of the power of words, we ought in general to speak less. Two more verses, and then I'm done. New Testament says this. James, if you claim to be religious, but you don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself, and your religion is worthless. In other words, James is basically saying, the true test of your faith is not your ability to express your beliefs, but rather your ability to control your tongue. One last verse, 1 Peter 3. Whoever would love life. If you love, do, you, do you not love life? If anyone would love life and sees good days ahead of you, you must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. Because so much of our problem in life come from this. Come from this, this tongue. So much of our problem in life comes from here. And here Peter said, if you want to have love life and you want to have good days, well, watch out. My concluding remark before I close is very simple. At the end of the day is the condition of our heart. Relationship comes from the condition of our heart. If your heart is right with God, you're at peace. There's not much turmoil. Then you can relate well with people. But if your heart is always in turmoil, always in frustration, always, you can't. There's no way. It's like a volcano. It has to erupt. So at the end of the day, is our heart. That's why Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And then he also says that love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Then and only you can love your neighbor as yourself. Because your heart is at peace. So the starting point is always coming before God and ask God to help us find peace in Him and ask God to work in us. And I think there are wonderful future ahead of us, each one of us, in the way that we can relate and build relationship. And God can use you mightily in the way that you operate. Father, we just want to say thank you. Lord, there's so much to learn. There are so many mistakes that I have made in my life, Lord. I wish when I was younger, uh, people can tell me and teach me and guide me in this path. But we thank you that whatever mistake we make, uh, you are master in in rebuilding. You are master in rebuilding things that has been torn apart, blown apart. You are master builder. You rebuild lives. And I thank you for today that you can rebuild my lives. You can rebuild everyone here in our midst. Lord, we confess to you our weakness. And yet we ask you to help us. May your Holy Spirit work in us, change us from within, 
so that we can relate well with our spouses, our children, our parents, our workmate, our boss, our friends, our community. We can relate. We can love them as ourselves when we truly love you, when we truly submit our life to you. Lord, as we close this time with this song, again reminding us that it's all about you, not us. Yet not I, but through Christ. Amen. Would you stand as we close this time with this beautiful hymns? <clears throat>